Well, the question that I wanted to talk about today is um, what do we do when we feel like we've, we're being obedient, that we're following God, we're doing everything that he's called us to do, yet things don't turn out the way we expected and things turn out kind of poorly. So it's a kind of serious topic. It's like some examples that if, if any of you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably experienced this, or if you haven't yet, you will. It's just kind of part of being a Christian. You know, you fast and pray for healing for a family member or a friend. Um, you know, you, you pray with perfect faith, with a clean heart, with unction, as Jordan talks about in the power equation, yet there's no healing, you know, and you wonder, what's up, God? Or you pour your life into a project that God has given you, and you, know, you, you give everything to it, yet the project fails. Or maybe uh, you pour your life into ministering to somebody, you know, to someone that you're really trying to reach for God, you know, do everything you can, you sacrifice for them, and yet they reject God and they reject you. Um, or perhaps you, know, you followed God and in, in keeping with his teaching, you've lived a life of simplicity, you've forsaken pursuing money and living as the world wants you to live to pursue what you think what the world says will take care of you, and all of a sudden you can't pay your bills. And you're like, God, where are you? You know, I've been doing what you said to do, yet things just are not turning out the way that I expected them to be. So the question is, what do we do when we're faithful, yet things just don't turn out uh, the way we think that they should? So we're going to take a look at the life of Elijah. Now, Elijah uh, went to high school at McKinley. He works for the law firm of Cage, Shuddy, Wright, and... Oh, wait, wait, wrong Elijah. I'm sorry. That, that was the guy who preached last week. So we're not going to talk about that Elijah. We're going to talk about the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Um, so for a little background before we get into the passage, because whenever you look at Scripture, you need to know the context that it's in, because it, it makes it so much fuller and more, more real. So Israel at this point, um, remember, Israel, God called them to be a people apart so that the world would see that, oh, this is... These people are doing well because God has taken care of them. So I want to know this God. So that was the plan with Israel. You know, and then throughout their history, you know, at times they were led by prophets, and then they didn't like that, so they asked for a king. So then they got King Saul first. Then they got King David, got King Solomon, and things kind of fell apart from there. I mean, it, it just fell apart to the, the kingdom actually split into two kingdoms. There was Judah and there was Israel. And... The kingdom of Israel, and this is what we're going to talk about because this is where Elijah came in. So the kingdom of Israel never really got the hang of obeying God. You know, throughout their history, they had bad king after bad king who just would not listen to God, continued to follow after the idols and worship the gods that were in the country around them. And it just went that way for a long time. But even in the midst of all of this kind of rebellion by the kingdom of Israel and their kings, um, God never gave up on them. So God continued to send prophets to them to remind them to turn back to him, to turn back to the good God who, you know, rescued them from Egypt and set them up. Um, but unfortunately, these bad kings uh, continued to kill God's prophets because they really didn't want to hear what God had to say. And they didn't want to have to repent and turn away from worshiping the gods of the people around them. Um, and they went so far as to set up false prophets of God who would tell them what they wanted to hear so they could keep doing what they wanted to do. Uh, one of the many gods that they worshiped during that time was a god called Baal. And you, you see him throughout the Old Testament. And he was a, a rain and fertility god. 
And in an agrarian society as theirs was, you know, whoever controlled the rain controlled life. So worshiping Baal to provide rain and provide sustenance for you was really a slap in the face of God, who was the God who said, I will provide for all of your needs. But Baal, Baal was huge during this time. Um, and along with, I guess, his female co counterpart was Ashtara. You'll see them too, Baal and Ashtara referred together. Um, it involved temple prostitution and so all kinds of other things that God really just was not pleased with. And they would often, they'd go through periods where they'd come back, then they'd go back to worshiping Baal and Asherah. Um, and sometimes they would just not just worship them instead of God, they would worship them along with God, saying that, you know, okay, we'll worship God when we have crises, because God's a powerful God who rescues us from crises. But for everyday life, we need to worship Baal, because he'll take care of the rain, he'll take care of our needs. And God didn't really like that because God's like, look, I'm the God who takes care of all of your needs. You don't need these other gods. So this is the time period where Elijah is called. So God calls Elijah to come and be a prophet to the people of Israel and to tell them, you know, stop worshiping Baal, come back to me because I love you. So God calls Elijah during the reign of King Ahab and Jezebel. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're kind of famous. Um, generally considered really bad, bad people. In fact, the name Jezebel now is like a name that is just synonymous with being a bad woman. And Ahab is like synonymous with being a bad guy. Um, so this is the, the people that Elijah comes to, uh, to power during these times. God tells them, so God tells Elijah, go to King Ahab and tell him, kind of in, in the face of Baal, to say, okay, Ahab, God says it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. So basically saying that God of Israel is saying to you that it's going to stop raining until I, his prophet, says it's going to rain. So he gives that declaration to Ahab and then basically runs away and hides for like three years. So it doesn't rain for three years. And you can imagine what this does to an agrarian society, right? No crops, no food. So after three years, people are starving. You know, there's no food in Israel and things are going really, really badly. And during these three years... Um, Ahab and Jezebel have been searching for Elijah because, you know, they want to whack him for saying this to them. And Jezebel in that time has been hunting down and killing all the other prophets of God. So then after three years, Elijah, God tells Elijah, go back to Ahab and tell him, I am here. So this is where we want to pick up the scripture. So if we can put up, um, I'll, you can read along with me. So Obadiah, who is one of Ahab's um, servants, he went out to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah replies, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he's setting up this encounter with the prophets of Baal and him, kind of the last prophet of God. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing, probably being a little embarrassed for their worship of Baal. <coughs> then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, 
Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. See, Elijah has the gift of sarcasm. He's good at it. <laughs> so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two silas, which is about 13 quarts of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering in the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he did, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So Elijah's good at setting a stage, right? He's good at building up suspense. So he's making it so clear that this is, unless God comes, there's no way this wet wood is going to catch, right? So that, you know, takes away the the possibility that he's going to try to do something sneaky and, you know, kind of flick a match in there or something. So he's making sure that everybody knows that if this happens, it's because of God. So, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. So huge miracle, fire from heaven. So very, very clear that I am the Lord. He comes down. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized him, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Okay, so that's a huge, huge power encounter, a huge victory. God comes incredibly, a spiritual high. You talk about mountaintop experiences, this is a mountaintop experience where God comes down in power in front of hundreds of people and just shows that Baal is nothing, okay? So this is where Elijah's at. 
you know, and, and there are many sermons that can be preached and, you know, have been preached about the power of God over evil, about faith, about obedience, um, you know, and they're all true and good. Uh, but today, I want to focus on what happens next after this huge power encounter. Okay, so next, this is what happens next. Uh, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. So she says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So, just to note, like, for those of you who have been in ministry for a while, you know, right, that after you have some kind of huge ministry breakthrough, usually the attack comes right after that, right? And just, just to note, if you're involved in ministry, if you're involved in serving God, just be prepared, because this will happen. You know, once you do something for God, the enemy tries to attack back. And this is clearly what's happening to Elijah. He's getting whacked, and he's getting whacked hard. Um, but the question that I had when I'm reading this is, why is Elijah so depressed after this? And, and we're going to look at that question for the rest of the message. Now, after this, God sends an, an angel to Elijah after he's sitting under the tree saying, God, just kill me now. You know, so he sends an angel to Elijah, and the, the angel wakes him up, feeds him, and gives him um, a message. He says, take a 40-day journey to Mount Horab. So remember, this is before cars, and Elijah probably didn't have a horse, so he's walking for 40 days, right? So he walks a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb, and Elijah does it and finds a cave and settles there to wait for God. Okay. So we pick it up again um, when he's in the cave. So there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> and of course, my question is, didn't you tell me to come here, God? <laughs> I just walked 40 days because you said to come to this mountain. But anyway, Elijah doesn't say that. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So what is really Elijah's complaint at this point? You know, I kind of summarize it like this. God, I have been faithful. I have done what you said. I've done it in power, with great obedience, and you have not come through. There's no results. And I think, what do you think Elijah was hoping would happen after, this, after his obedience and this great power display? You know, you'd think that I'm here as a prophet to Israel. I would expect Israel to repent. I would expect them to turn away from the Baals and turn back to God. You know, that the country would undergo a huge revival back to the Lord God, and at a minimum, they'll stop trying to kill me. You know, at a minimum, I can go shopping without Jezebel trying to kill me. <coughs> you know, but we know from history that Israel never repents, even after all of this. They do not turn back to God. There's no revival, and there's no transformation of the country. In fact, Israel, after a number of more bad kings, is eventually wiped off the map. 
you know, God keeps sending prophets and just says, okay, that's it. And then they're carried off into captivity. And I don't know if you ever hear of the, 12, or the 10 lost tribes of Israel. That's this, that after a while, they're just gone. Nobody knows what happened to them. They're just, they're gone. <sighs> so have any of you ever felt like Elijah in this sense? You know, you've been faithful, been even zealous for the Lord, um, and things just didn't work out like you expected them to. In fact, things went badly, and you wonder, um, God, did I mishear you? Or did I somehow screw up your plans? Or, you know, what's wrong with me, God? Or sometimes even, what's wrong with you, God? You know, I know I've been faithful. What kind of an unreliable God are you that after I've been obedient, things just went badly? Um, you know, I, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've had some examples. I was on staff with a, a parachurch ministry for a while. And, you know, when I, when I joined the team, there were like, I think, there were like four of us on the team, and the chapter was doing well. You know, we went up to about, I don't know, 60 or so people. And then over the next, well, in, in a year, everybody else left. Like the, the staff team went down to me, and I was the only one left. And, you know, I was trying to be faithful. Okay, God, I'm going to do what you called. I'm going to try to build this up. I'm going to try to reach out to the college students. And after about a year, it went down to like three people. It was so sad. I was like, God, what's up? Um, and, you know, a little silver lining is that one of those three people became my sister-in-law. But, you know, but it just, it just went down. And I was like, God, where are you? I've been faithful, and yet this is the result. You know, and then after that, you know, so I finally left staff, and I had a psych degree. And so with ministry experience and a psych degree, how many jobs do you think there are out there? <laughs> you know, it, it was a little rough. Um, but I got a job. And then, you know, so I started trading at this job. And then I got fired. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, what, what the heck? And, and I found out what happened was that um, on my application, on my resume, I'd put one of the jobs that as I was on staff with the university, I had a part-time job stringing rackets at a, at a local shop. And the guy was paying me under the table. So what happened was when they called him up, he said, oh, no, he never worked for me. And so I got fired. You know, and it's again, oh, God, what's up? I'm trying to be faithful. You know, and then yeah, more recently, we... we we started a church plant with some good friends of ours, and we poured our life into it, and we ended up having to leave. It's just, God, what's up? Why are you doing this? We're trying so hard to be faithful, and it's just not turning out the way we expected. Now, hold that thought. If any of you have ever been there, hold on to that thought for a bit. Um, so back to Elijah. So let's take a look at God's answer to Elijah's question, Lord, what's up? Why is, are things going like this after I've been so faithful? So we read now again in 2 Kings. So the Lord said, Go and stand on the mountainside in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This is when he's been in the cave. So he goes outside of the cave. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not on the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And again, if I was Elijah, I would have said, You told me to come here, God, but he doesn't. Um, he replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. 
and I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. So the same complaint. And the Lord said to Elijah, Don't worry, I will take care of them, and your faithful service will result in repentance and revival. You will no longer have to run and hide, as I will protect you from all your enemies. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Unfortunately, that is not what God says to Elijah. Instead, God says, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. So he says, basically, take another 40-day walk back to where you came from. Um, also anoint Jehu son of Nemish, or Nemshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to secede you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So this is God's response to Elijah. So if Elijah's question to God is, Lord, I have been faithful. How come I'm still being hunted and killed, and Israel has not repented and turned back to you? And does God answer that question? No, he doesn't really answer it. Um, I mean, there's some comfort. I was talking to Sonia about this last night, and she kind of pointed out there's some comfort in God's answer. I mean, one, he tells Elijah, okay, you can quit. You know, you don't have to keep doing this. Go and appoint the successor. You know, so there might be some comfort in that. He also tells him, you know, there um, see, 7,000 people in Israel that haven't bowed down to Baal. So he also says, um, you're not alone. You're not the only one left. There are some people. So there's some comfort there from God. But there isn't an answer to the question. There's still no repentance. There's still no restoration of Israel. No harvest of souls. And Jezebel is still trying to kill him. Instead, God says, here's the next job for you. Go do it. Right? And Elijah does. Um, as I was preparing this, another example came to mind. I don't know if you guys are familiar with John the Baptist. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist. So it was said of John the Baptist that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. You know, that he came with God, Elijah's power. He was powerful. People repented when he preached um, to, to uh, Israel at the time to come and repent of your sins. And he prepared the way for Jesus. He prepared the way for the Lord. And you know, his big thing was like, repent for the kingdom of God is hand. Jesus is coming. Somebody more powerful than I is coming. And, and John the Baptist did an awesome job. People did repent. People listened to him. He had power. Um, but oh, he even baptized Jesus. And of him, Jesus said, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus basically says that this is the greatest guy that's ever lived, right, of John the Baptist. Yet after all of his faithfulness and zeal in preparing the way for Jesus, he ends up in prison because he um, basically told the king that what you're doing with your brother's wife is wrong. And so he gets thrown into prison. And so he's sitting there in prison wondering, why am I here? And after a while, he tells the disciples, you know, go talk to that Jesus guy and ask him, are you really the Messiah or have I made a huge mistake as he's sitting there in prison? And um, this is what Jesus replies to him. So I don't know if I have the scripture for that. No, okay, I'll just read it. So when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to him to ask, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? In other words, Jesus, did we make a mistake? Were we wrong? Are you not the Messiah? So Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So this is a passage that he's quoting from, um, I think it's, shoot, I forgot to write it down. It's an Old Testament prophet, but basically it's declaring that this is the Messiah. These are the things that the Messiah is going to do. So Jesus' response to John is, no, you didn't make a mistake. I am the Messiah. Look at what I'm doing. But does Jesus answer his real question? Because I think John's real question is, why am I in prison if you're the Messiah and I have done everything right? And again, Jesus doesn't answer that question. His response is simply, I am the Messiah, you haven't made a mistake. But Jesus doesn't free John from prison. He doesn't rescue him. In fact, shortly after this, John is beheaded in prison. And that's the end of his ministry. So it raises the question, if all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, as, as 2 Timothy tells us, um, then what can we learn from the fact that Elijah's and John's kind of bad experience is listed in the Bible? You know, God chose to put that in. Because uh, you'd think if the Bible is really just a, a guide to do ministry or, you know, uh, a religious hype book, right, to get us excited, it would probably be more effective without these two stories. Yeah? <laughs> um, it would just be a more effective book without Elijah going into depression and wanting to die and John being beheaded in prison after asking if I've made a huge mistake. Um, well, I think there are some broad question, uh, things that we can learn from both Elijah and John the Baptist's experience that sometimes uh, we just don't get an answer. Sometimes we ask God and he just doesn't reply. He always answers. And he, he promises that he will be with us. But we don't always get an answer to the question that we're asking. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God isn't powerful. It doesn't mean God's not in control. And it doesn't mean that God isn't good. Because you know, as we know and we take on faith sometimes, God is good all the time. Also, we can learn that our faithfulness and obedience are not determined by the outcome, right? Even though God calls you to do something, God called Elijah to preach repentance to the Israelites, and they don't repent. That doesn't mean that Elijah messed up, and it doesn't mean that God wasn't with him. You know, sometimes we just don't get to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. Because now we know, you know, thousands of years later that Jesus came and, you know, we have hope. But you know, Elijah didn't get to see that. But still, it doesn't mean that his obedience was wrong. Um, third, our expectations do not change God's plan or who he is. So just because we may expect something um, in response to our obedience doesn't mean that God made a mistake or that God's character has changed. He's not a bad God because he doesn't do what we expect him to do. You know, it's just he's God and we're not. Um, so for, for us, keep on seeking God and doing what he calls you to do. You know, sometimes he won't give you an answer, but just do what he's called you to do right now. Um, he does not promise us certain results or to meet our sometimes incorrect expectations, but he promises that he will be with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. That's God's promise, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, so just big principles. God is with us. God is in control. God is powerful and God is good. 
So these are kind of general things we can learn. But I know for those of us who have been or are in the situation where we're like Elijah or John the Baptist wondering, God, where are you? What's going on? You are just not coming through for me. Principles like this, not real helpful at the time, you know. So I think what is helpful is if God will come and talk to you and touch you where you're at. So what I want to do is um, if anybody who feels like you're in this position where you're questioning God, what's going on, where are you, I have been faithful and you just are not coming through. Um, I ask us to close our eyes and if you can just stand, I want to ask God's Holy Spirit to come and touch us because that's where the power is. I mean, these principles are good when you're not going through stuff. And, you know, maybe it can come to mind later. But if you're going through it right now and you need a touch from God, I want to ask you to stand and I want to pray for that. So let's just close our eyes. So, again, if you feel like you need a touch from God, please stand up. Lord, we ask for you to come. Lord, we know that you are good. And we know that you are all-powerful. And we know that you see more than we see. But, Father... Some of us, we just feel like Elijah. Just say, Lord, I've had enough. I just want to die. And Lord, for those of us in that position right now, I just ask for you to come. Just come, Lord, and speak. Just come, Holy Spirit. Spirit, speak to your people. Lord, we have been faithful and we love you. We just want to know that you're with us, Lord. Just come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you are good and that you are watching over us and that you are with us. So I pray you continue to minister to your people um, and help us, Lord, to be able to see you in whatever we're doing. Amen.